0: You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, seeks to improve the quality of healthcare in America. We want to make healthcare better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations measure their performance, and highlight those that do well, and we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. If you're a fan of this podcast or have any comments or concerns, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. On today's episode of Inside Healthcare, we take a deep dive into PCO measures, person-centered outcome measures a significant domain in the HEDIS measure set. We have three interviews for you today, three interviews. An NCQA research scientist joins two patient partners who are caregivers whose professional and personal experiences really hammer home the significance of PCO, which might be a revolutionary reorientation of the traditional doctor-patient relationship. But first, a word from our president. NCQA's first annual Health Innovation Summit will bring together healthcare visionaries and quality thought leaders from around the country for a four-day convention from Halloween through November 3rd in Washington, D.C. I had the honor and pleasure of speaking with NCQA's President Peggy O'Kane about the upcoming summit, and as you'll hear, there's lots to look forward to and plenty of learning and networking to be had in our nation's capital. Here's my chat with Peggy. Peggy, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about the summit. So we're looking forward to the summit. What are you most excited about?
1: Well, I'm always first of all, I think we're all getting used to the excitement and fingers crossed, we'll all be together um, of being together with other people when we've all been on Zoom. And, you know, Zoom has been a miraculous uh, kind of emergency mode that allowed us to keep on working but um i think that there's no substitute for the kind of networking that you can do when you go to uh, an in-person meeting but i think i'm most excited about the the kind of breakthroughs and the, the the kind of incredible faculty that we have that we're showcasing so we just have an amazing group of people who are you know really uh recognized leaders of systems, of health plans. Um, we have new technology featured. So it's if you're looking to keep up with what's going on and and, you know, some of the new uh, best practices that really will become standards of the future,
0: uh, I think it's a perfect way to learn about. So what are some of the hot topics of discussion that will be coming up at the summit this year?
1: We're talking about you know innovative care delivery, which I think is something that I'm personally passionate about because um, you know new technology has transformed so much of our daily lives, and the potential in healthcare is great, and I think we're only beginning to see it. So featuring uh, you know those that have been bold enough to experiment and so forth. Um, to talk about their experience, I think is a great education and a great way to move everybody forward. Equity, of course, we're talking about health equity uh, at this meeting, because we're doing it with with everything that we do. Uh, There's a lot on data and digital healthcare. We have some amazing keynote speakers. Uh, Mandy Cohen, who's with Allidade and uh, who used to be the Secretary of Health of North Carolina and just did amazing things there. Lee Fleischer, chief medical officer at CMS and head of the uh, Center for Clinical Standards and Quality. Liz Fowler from CMS, Kate Goodrich, chief medical officer of Humana. They're all of that caliber and they all have a lot to say. So um, we're thrilled to be able to get them on the program. It's, it's a fantastic program and people are gonna have a hard time choosing when, they, when they're going to the tracks
0: tell me about ncqa at this moment uh, as looking at the summit as a um a, a sort of snapshot of who we are right now of ncqa's growth and development and and how people should should see us in terms of having this wonderful four day live in person event
1: well at this moment i think we're in we're in transition from the way we've done things for you know 30 years uh and that we're really proud of um to new ways of doing things you know we're we're transitioning hedis to digital and i think people are still kind of wondering is that is that a good thing for me or you know But I think in order to enable a digital future, you have to be able to measure quality digitally and you have to be able to deliver care digitally and so forth. And then there's uh, kind of transformative models of care. I think of diabetes. We're very lucky to have a grant from the um, uh, Hemsley Foundation to redefine our program. We have a recognition program for diabetes care, and we're looking at all the new technologies and breakthroughs that are happening in diabetes care. We're used to, in healthcare, being discouraged because innovations, uh, there was a study at the IOM, uh, the Institute of Medicine, now called the National Academy of Medicine, that said the average time for a breakthrough to kind of go into standard practice was 17 years. That's not good enough. So we're we're partly the messenger and then we hope to be uh an enabler of better care in the future and we want the burden of quality measurement to be uh really really reduced so that it really a lot of the data that we need flows from the delivery of care that's our that's our goal
0: what would you expect people to have as takeaways when they walk away Uh, from the summit when they're done?
1: Well, it's kind of like saying, what are they going to have on their plate when they go to a buffet? You know, it's going to be, you know, I hope that whichever, whichever the topics are that they're interested in, they come away with a better understanding, having met more people that are interested, because I think so much happens informally through people talking to each other and sharing with each other. So, you know, having met others that are interested in the same areas that you're interested in, if you're gonna be a drill down person, if you're just interested in kind of learning across the board, we'd like you to have a little sample of all the great topics that we have. And hopefully that will help you Get more clarity on what is our vision, not only for a future that's further out, but like, what do we need to do today, tomorrow and next year? So we're excited because it's an exciting time in healthcare, and a lot of possibilities are out there.
0: Anything else that you'd like to add? Anything that you just to to tell people they should come to the summit? They should
1: come. It's, it's at a great hotel and, you know, D.C., is a fun place and uh, there'll be lots of folks there and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you and welcoming you to DC.
0: Peggy, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thank you, you, David.
0: My chat with NCQA President Peggy O'Kane. I'll tell you more about the summit later in the program, but if you like to multitask, feel free to jump over and check out the summit's website, ncqasummit.com, while you're listening to the show right now. You don't have to stop listening unless you're in the car, but really, you can check it out right now while we're talking. Check out our agenda, the speaker list, hot topics and tracks, and register as soon as you can. We'll have more updates for you from other summit organizers and NCQA leaders in our next three episodes ahead of the summit, so stay tuned. And now for our featured interviews about person-centered outcome measures. So if you're like me, when you think about your usual doctor's appointments, you might expect to fill out the same forms you filled out before, answer standard questions about whatever's bothering you, and then get some general advice, maybe a prescription therapy. Maybe they'll send you to a specialist. But not that there's anything really wrong with the usual, but imagine if, just imagine, instead, your doctor asks you how you feel, asks you what you think might be wrong with you, and then really listens to the answers that you give. And then the provider says, what are your goals as your patient? What would you like to be able to do that you can't do now? And how can I help you to get there? So we've talked on this show about the value of clinicians listening to their patients. And there are some in public and private practice who do run their office visits this way. But how can we get everyone to follow this paradigm? Well, if you're NCQA and we are, you find a way to measure the effectiveness and success of this model of healthcare. Person-centered outcome measures have already begun to change the healthcare landscape for the better. So to hear more about this today, we spoke with three people. We spoke with NCQA's senior research scientist, Dr. Caroline Blom. We spoke with Ireland Hawkins, a retired researcher and caregiver, now a patient, with a patient's perspective. And we talked to Sherry Nolan, a patient partner with a caregiver's perspective. First up today, our talk with NCQA's Dr. Caroline Blom.
2: Person-centered outcome measures are measures that were designed by NCQA for people who have complex health status, and people who have complex health status are people who have a lot of health care needs, or many times they sometimes have physical health care needs or emotional or mental health care needs, sometimes social problems or needs in the social area, but nonetheless, for people who have complex health care needs. We think that people with complex health uh, needs require care that's really based on what matters to them. You know, then we don't have any evidence. We don't know exactly how we should treat them for their different diseases. So the most important thing really to drive care is what matters to them. And then we can figure out how to, how to, how to um, develop that care. You know, and that and this applies to many different types of c- clinicians from, you know, doctors and nurses and care managers. We can direct the care we're providing to help people achieve what matters to them. So we think that's a good type of care, but it's never been measured. So if you don't measure it and incentivize the providers to do it and teach people that this is important, we are not sure that type of care is going to get delivered. So NCQA, because that's in the measurement business, has designed these measures to sort of measure that type of care because we think that's a good type of care to encourage and hopefully drive that type of care. These are measures that measure care that that matters to people. And there are three of them. We ask the clinician to find out what matters to people, find out people's health outcome goals, and then follow up and make sure people are achieving them. And then we assess whether the people are actually making progress or achieving the things that are important to them, which we call their health outcome goals. So it's a pretty simple idea, but um, because uh, care based on goals that matter to people is, is becoming more common. But we think it should be measured because it's the best type of care to give people. And we think it should be incentivized.
0: The paradox is that it makes a lot of sense to do it this way. And yet it's almost turning things completely around in terms of the traditional doctor patient relationship. A a patient for a long time would say, oh, this is a doctor. They've gone to school, grad school for maybe 10 years or so. They must know more about this than I do, and so a patient would be geared up to go and sit down, wait for someone to ask them a couple of questions, and then be told what to do and It sounds like you know p c o as as logical as it might be, it's very difficult for uh you know some doctors, especially the way they're is still being trained, to have their mindset turned in a different direction so do do you think clinicians want to implement this? this kind of care, this mode, or is it going to be that difficult for them to sort of get changed?
2: Well, you know, the, the 10,000 foot view is we think that all clinicians, physicians, and, you know, nurses, uh, care managers, all, all, all clinicians should really think this way. But uh, I will think say that Clinicians who really have devoted their careers to taking care of complex patients are more oriented towards this. They do think about it. They may not know exactly how to do it. And as you say, it might go against some of their traditional uh, training. But there are a lot of clinicians that, you know, really do think that the person's goal or what matters to them should drive the care. It's a little hard to implement. And I will also point out that patients aren't necessarily used to this approach either. A lot of patients say, well, this doctor went to school for like a zillion years. They should tell me what to do. But And so the way we sort of explain it is the patient's the expert on what matters to them. And the clinician or the doctors are the expert on how to get there. So it's really conversations and shared decision-making on the outcomes. The patient knows what they need, what they want, what they want their healthcare to do for them. And the clinician, they should be heading, go into a clinician that knows how to help them get there. So it turns it on its head in a way, but when you really delve into it, not exactly.
0: Uh, let me ask you in general what kind of impact would this approach have on, on in the healthcare world?
2: Well, I think I, for patients, I think um, it will certainly facilitate communication. And, um, and for patients, I think patients deserve care that matters to them you know, especially complex patients, they sometimes get um, too much care. Sometimes they get too little care, but often they get care that doesn't really solve their problems. So I think that, uh, from the patient's point of view, uh, you know, having the conversation and really working with the clinician to figure out what really matters. You know, what do they want out of this health care? You know, what is is really going to help with the patient engagement and help the health care go better, help the conversation go better? Um, from the point of view of the providers, um, you know, they actually, you uh, sort of like this better. We can talk about that in a bit. But the, the, the other thing that I want to talk about this approach, so it is much more person centered. We talk about person centered all the time, but this really is person centered because it has to do with what matters to the person and we can align care around that.
0: Where have you seen interest in implementing these kinds of measures? Who's out there who's really eager to, to get started?
2: Yeah, the As I mentioned before, clinicians who who take care of patients with complex problems often are sort of trying to do this or thinking about it. And so we have actually found a lot of interest from clinicians, from people who take care of um, uh, people in home and home and community based services, certainly from geriatricians and palliative care physicians, from some people who do primary care. A lot of their patients do have multiple chronic conditions or frailty or problems, and they also really appreciate this approach. We've also found a lot of interest in people who help uh, do behavioral health care. So take care of people with mental illness or substance use or things like that. And they feel that this is a really excellent approach. And the clinicians like it because they get to know their patients better. They get to have shared decision-making on, you know, what the patient really wants with the patient. They get to understand this. And this measure is is a lot of measures to doctors feel like, and to clinicians in general, feel like checkbox, do this, do this, do this, do this, did you do this, did you do this? Might work well in surgery, but it doesn't work well with people with complex health status where you really have to have a good conversation to figure out the way to direct the health care. So the, the a lot of our clinicians would rather be measured on this and on this approach of, of goal-based care, care that matters to people, than just checking boxes for measures.
0: Talking about the PCO measures, nuts and bolts. So What's next as far as uh, the measures go, as far as where we are with releasing them, um, training? Is, there's a, is there a, a learning lab that's coming up?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. one of our, our steps right now are to have learning collaborate with interested providers. And again, the clinicians that are, have been interested are people in home and community-based services, in primary care, in home visits, in geriatrics, and in uh, behavioral health. So we're getting a lot of groups around the country uh, who are going to work with us to figure out how to make this idea into a real measure. Uh, We we have, you know, we've done a lot of testing before, but this is really sort of testing in the real world to see how we can uh, translate these ideas into sort of a solid measure, what we call an NCQA measure specifications and data transfer and data measures and analysis and benchmarks and all the things that go into uh, uh, making a good measures that can uh, be used for quality improvement or even someday for accountability. So we are right on the verge of turning this idea into sort of solid measures that hopefully can be widely disseminated in the next few years.
0: Dr. Caroline Blom, NCQA Senior Research Scientist. Next up, our talk with person-centered outcome measures patient partner, Ireland Hawkins, with the patient perspective on changing the doctor-patient relationship,
3: I did social work for over thirty years. So that was multifaceted. Did the health, the housing, the ch- you know help with uh, court cases and childcare, the whole gamut. Worked with uh, families with children and the elderly and the permanently and totally disabled people. So the full gamut of people who were uh, using the social services system. I worked with the AIDS administration for over five years in Baltimore, which was the uh, town that had the highest amount of AIDS and HIV cases in the United States. I did research on how that person contracted AIDS. So I would visit the hospitals and, and look at the medical records, interview the doctors if it wasn't in the medical records social workers to see what information they could give us some insight on how that person contracted aids so i did that for uh, about four years with the Baltimore city health
0: department so talking about person-centered outcome project how did you become involved
3: i was a caregiver for my mother and my my husband my (laughs) mother-in-law And now um, I'm the patient, so it's all about me now.
0: Tell me your definition of person-centered outcomes, person-centered care. What what what's important about it, and how do you how would just put it in your own words? How would well, you describe it?
3: I've seen a lot of doctors in my in my lifetime, uh, with my mother, with my husband, with my mother-in-law, and now with myself, and I've seen. Uh, the care that, I'll use my husband, he was very, the doctor was the savior. Whatever the doctor said was the rule. You know, I would say, you're taking your medicine, but you should stop eating what you're eating. So uh, the doctor would prescribe him medicine, but didn't give him other ways to combat whatever health problems he had, like high blood pressure, uh, he had two two forms of cancer, um so I saw the fact that the doctor, he saw the doctor as all-knowing, and he would do whatever the doctor said to whether that was helping him or not. In my case, I have uh, been involved with several doctors, some very good ones, and some not so good, where they say, do this, this, and this. And I said, well, I'm not taking oxycontin you know i have lots of pain i'd rather take a tylenol and so i you know i'm, I'm responsible for my, my well-being
0: you know it sounds like when it comes to this when it comes to talking about patient oriented mm-hmm. you know uh, health care mm-hmm. sometimes we have to train the patients as much as we do the doctors oh, to yeah. say i mean what would you tell people Thinking about what we're thinking about, what would you tell people if they're going into another health situation? And I don't mean just going for a checkup. I mean, if something's going on and there's a strong possibility that mm-hmm. we're going to see your primary care doctor, they're going to give you a specialist, and then you go to the next one and you have to go to the hospital, you have to get a scan, you got to get it Then There's probably a long journey ahead of you. What would you tell people when it comes to person-centered you know, healthcare? What should their attitude be when they go in to, uh, to see somebody?
3: That the per- the doctor is a person just like they are and that they should discuss with the doctor what they're expecting, what outcome they're expecting from the treatment that they're being referred to or the treatment that they're getting. Have some input rather than sit and be a uh, just a listener, talk back to the doctor, have a conversation about how this procedure is going to help you and how long it's gonna take and what you expect, what, what your expectations for that procedure are.
0: BCO patient partner, Ireland Hawkins. Finally, for this episode, a talk with Person-Centered Outcome Measures patient partner, Sherry Nolan, giving us the caregiver perspective. As you'll hear in the interview, Sherry takes care of her father. Uh, just to clarify, Sherry lives in Illinois and her dad lives down in Mississippi. But she still, every once in a while, gets on a plane and flies down there just to look out for him. I started out by asking how she got involved in the project with NCQA.
4: I was invited um, based on um, me being a caregiver um, of my father who had a stroke back in October 2020, as well as me working with one of the stroke campaigns here in Chicago, Illinois.
0: So how could... Person-centered outcomes. How could this kind of perspective for healthcare uh, help your specific situation? Help the situation with you and taking care of your father.
4: Well, basically, um, patient-centered approaches um, work best, and this this particular one would help um, because my father had a stroke in 2020, and you know, of course, when you go to the doctor, you know, the doctor sees you basically based on whatever the reason that brought you there, which is in my father's case, it would be his stroke. Um, And so, of course, you know, the doctor talked to him about, you know, possibly what happened, things that he would need to do and et cetera, et cetera. However, no one has talked to him about what his goals are. Um, Had, if his doctor was to ask him, "What, what is your goal, Mr. Campbell? My dad would tell him, right now, my goal would be able to walk. And in saying that, that would address the fact that my father uh, went from kind of being able to walk with a walker to now being in probably in the last seven or eight months now, not being able to walk at all and being wheelchair bound. And that would also open up the question about um, if he asks about, you know, my goal would be to be able to walk. His house is not wheel, wheelchair accessible, so he can't get in and out of his bathroom on his own to go to the bathroom or to take a shower and, you know, and and to move through freely throughout his home. And that would probably add to um, the doctor being able to either refer my father um, for additional services, especially um, someone that could possibly um, outside of primary care be able to give my father more definite answers about what's going on with his legs and
0: why he's not able to walk. Is there anything else you want to add?
4: Uh, I I've spoken to my father about this and um, he's very excited um, to hear that some change will be taking place, whether or not it directly um, affects him. It, it will indirectly definitely make him feel better about um, physicians looking at patients as um, a person, um, not just, you know, I'm going to tell you what it is that I want you to do, I'm going to um, prescribe this medication and I'll see you back. It's more or less um, finding out from them. What do they want? What What are the outcomes that they're looking for? Because that's um, very key in terms of treating people. If you don't hear people, they don't hear you um, regardless of who you are. So then that's why you end up seeing patients not getting better or seeing patients in the emergency room more frequently than they should be, because it's a um, it's a disconnect. So this is definitely a step in the right direction um, to um, further engage in, and help facilitate that doctor patient relationship into one where we'll have healthier patients and
0: healthier communities. Do you think it'll be hard for doctors and for caregivers to to turn things around for them and to treat patients that way uh, and, and asking them, what are your what do you want to be going on with you in two months from now and five months from now? And then let's find a way of getting to that point. Is there something that you see that's getting in the way of, of people changing the way they do things?
4: Um, well, this is, this is new. So, um, uh, all I can say is it will be something that, um, especially physicians who've been practicing for a long period of time, it will be an adjustment. It would be just an, uh, added bonus to what they do. And, um, I'm sure after they start seeing positive results um, in doing so it will be something that um, they will be able to incorporate very easily and as well as being able to share that with their other colleagues. Um, But for new physicians, new residents, I think this is the best way, or this will be the best implementation that can happen with them. Just in the beginning of their practice, it will add value um, to, you know, what needs to
3: happen.
0: Off the top of your head, are there any great ways of just starting to do this little steps that you could give um, uh, providers that you could give doctors and caregivers? What would be a a little step like that, that you think would be a good way of starting to to think this way?
4: Um, I think, Um, basically the, the, the training, the one-on-one training or, um, informational, um, tools to just, um, be able to promote why we're doing this and, you know, for doctors to have a sense of that's a need, um, I think that would be, you know, overall one of the greatest things. I mean, active listening is always great um, <laughs> for everybody that's involved. Um, so it sounds like that's a semi-active listening um, exercise that they're practicing. But just, you know, basically overall, just, just just being able to highlight and show the value of why this is why
0: this should be happening and why we're we're doing this. I think that would be the, the best approach by now, especially with COVID by now, we got a lot of people who don't trust doctors. They don't want to go to the clinic. They're like, well, if I'm supposed to stay home, I guess I'll stay home no matter what's going on. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, it builds up in their head. Like I don't trust anybody, but myself, I trust what I read. I don't trust anything kind of, and then even if you get them in front of a doctor, they'll smile and whatever. And then when they walk out, they'll say, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm just going to do whatever. And they don't follow up on their stuff. And, you know, but when it's a conversation Mm -hmm. and people feel they don't, and, you know, you don't feel the other way. You don't feel like the doctor knows everything. I know nothing. Mm -hmm. But when it's a back and forth and you say, good, they're listening to me. They know I'm the one who knows me best. Right. That's that's a big piece of the puzzle. You're right.
4: And I think also um, it's something that um, I've implemented, even with me being case, a case manager, one of the things that um, I told the agency that um, wanted to hire me to, to do case management, I would only do it if I was um, okay to green light to go into the client's home. Um, and the reason being is when you're in an office setting, um, professional office setting, a lot of times you don't get the full picture and so you only have a, a few doctors, um, even in the state of Mississippi, that actually go out um, into the patient's home. So I know for me, if my if um, I tried to switch my father to my um, my physician there, but. Physicians are very in the state of Mississippi. They're very um, in that particular small communities. They all know each other. So they're very um, sensitive about not wanting to step on the other physician's toes, if you will. So it's kind of like I want to, but I don't want to overstep that physician. Whereas to I know when a doctor goes into his home, he's comfortable in his home, and he's then going to tell you because you're there, you can see the full picture. So sometimes that's also another barrier um, that really, really, really. I mean, with the telemedicine, it somewhat gives a physician an inside view, but of course, um, you know, I can still, as a patient. I can control what you see in my home. But if you were to actually come to my home, it's things that will help better uh, doctors better understand what's going on with the patient. And sometimes they may even be able to see that it may be some medical things that they didn't know about because it may be someone there in the home that's suffering with some things that that patient didn't see fit to it's none of your business for me to tell you that my sister has cancer or my sister suffers from diabetes or you know high blood pressure. But when you're in your in the
0: home, it's different. Um, because you know, then people
4: tend to open up.
0: And then you can stand there and see what they don't see.
4: Yes. Yes. If
0: you're talking about like somebody had, you know, emphysema or COPD or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you have this great appointment with them in the office, you know, but Mm -hmm. then you actually walk in the house. And you see two inches of dust, and that's kind of somebody you know,
4: smoking. Somebody smoking, smoking or smoke.
0: the next door neighbor smoking, or the kids sit outside and smoking, and yeah, so you never know that until you see it. Until
4: you go into the home. So I've been better. Um, well, a lot of times I become high in demand as a case manager. Now they've, of course, a lot of case managers are mad at me because now um, the funding agency has made it a recommendation that people get out of their offices. And even if you don't go into the person's home because of COVID, you meet them in their community. Because then, again, you see the bigger picture. Um, I think the this approach that we're taking is... Is, is the first of many that probably needs to be taken. Um, some physicians, do I think physicians are gonna get it? Some are, are gonna get it and they're gonna grasp hold to it and they're gonna run with it. Some may struggle a little, but you know, I know for me, that's why I asked. I really would, I, outside of the trainings, the trainings will kind of show you, but um, it's nothing like actually being um, there in person. Um, just randomly in a clinic just to see not only how they're delivering, but when a patient comes out, how they're feeling, looking at their body language. You know, I would say, like I say, if a physician um, had come to my dad's home, it would have been different because the doctor could see the setup. um, Even when they sent him home from rehab um, and said, you know, when they diagnosed him as being diabetic, well, he can't give himself um he can't stick himself to find out what his glucose readings are yeah but had you had him to do these things before you sent him home you would have seen it or if the person that was coming into the home knew how to properly assess properly document then it's a lot of things that you know that could be done um, versus nothing
0: Patient partner, Sherry Nolan, giving us the caregiver perspective. I told you before about our upcoming Health Innovation Summit, and I'll tell you more about it a little later, but right now I'm hearing through the grapevine that Dr. Caroline Blom will be presenting at the summit on the very first day, October 31st this year, talking all about person-centered outcome measures and how they promote health equity. Now, the session is to be titled, Promoting Health Equity Through Measuring What Matters Most. So head over to ncqasummit.com to sign up. Once again, we've made it to our regular fast fact segment. I'll throw you some bits of knowledge to spread around the office. And as it's September, we join so many others in observing National Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. Prostate cancer is notorious and deadly. Any man can get it. And here are just a few fast facts on the subject from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC reports now that 13% of American men will get prostate cancer during their lifetime. And of those, two to three of them will die from it. Age and genetics are certainly factors in developing prostate cancer, but African-American men are more likely to get it and more than twice as likely to die from it. Symptoms of prostate cancer can include difficulties with urination, presence of blood, and pain in the pelvic region that just won't go away. You should talk to your doctor about your specific situation. But meanwhile, here's NCQA's position on a specific type of prostate cancer screening. We have a HEDIS measure called the Non-Recommended PSA-Based Screening in Older Men, or just PSA for short. PSA in this case stands for prostate-specific antigen screening. This measure tracks whether men age 70 and older were screened for prostate cancer unnecessarily using this PSA test. Sometimes PSA testing can cause undue physical and even psychological harm. So, as it says on our website, clinical guidelines do not recommend routing PSA-based screening in most men. NCQA has other HEDIS measures related to cancer and cancer screenings, including measures for breast, cervical, and colorectal cancer. So go to ncqa.org and search cancer for more information. Well, I said it before and I'll say it again. NCQA is excited to announce our first Health Innovation Summit. This four-day in-person conference takes place October 31st through November 3rd at the Marriott Marquis Hotel in Washington, D.C. You've already heard today about the amazing speakers, the tracks, the themes, the opportunities, the opportunities to network. Uh, there's, There's breakfast, there's a pavilion with over 40 exhibitors, there's amazing sponsors and vendors and great food and drink, and the chance to just get out and enjoy your time in our nation's capital. So Go to ncqasummit.com to register and find out more. As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we now ask for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime with your comments. And if you're coming up empty right now and something to say, here's our question of the week. When you go for an appointment as a patient, what's the best thing a doctor could say to you When you first walk in the door think about that a little bit and then tell us about it and if you have a comment a suggestion an idea for a guest on our show or maybe you'd like to be that guest well just email us and let us know communications at ncqa.org and we hope to hear from you soon that about wraps up episode 88 of ncqa's inside healthcare podcast Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but remember, there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. Share a show, spread the word, please. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. And if you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show that can be shared with your friends and colleagues and family, anybody and everybody. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.